You are listening to Australia's tax news podcast, Tax Talks, the podcast for Australian tax professionals. Welcome to episode 77 of Tax Talks. This is Heidi Robson. Government grants can help our clients to prosper and survive. They can make up a large part of our clients' incoming cash flow. So it makes sense for us to know a bit or two about government grants. But what is out there? What are these government grants? I asked Stuart Smith of Vibis whether he could walk us through the three largest government grants for Australian business. And he kindly said yes. It turns out that the R&D Tax Incentive, the Export Market Development Grant and the Entrepreneur Infrastructure Program are the three largest ones. So these are the three grants Stuart will talk about. Stuart refers to the Export Market Development Grant as EMDG, EMDG. And that grant, EMDG, is administered by Austrade. So when Stuart talks about Austrade, it is in relation to the Export Market Development Grant, EMDG. I started by asking Stuart whether he is an R&D specialist, whether it is R&D specialists that help business to qualify for the R&D tax incentive. Here's Stuart. You're not a registered R&D specialist. You're a tax agent that has admission to the TPB, the Tax Practitioners Board, with a narrow, as an R&D, you're only asking to be admitted as an R&D tax agent. And you apply for that limited registration. So I'm not able to lodge tax returns or anything like that. So I'm not an accountant. To be an Austrade consultant, you've got to lodge five grants. You're an Austrade consultant? I'm an Austrade consultant. I get sent letters from Austrade and I have an Austrade consultant's number because I do, I've done more than five grants per year. QIP program is based on you lodge so many grants for so much funding, Austrade audit those grants and if they knock stuff back, as long as your slippage, as long as the amount that you're not getting approved is less than a certain percentage, you can take, you, you have the right to call yourself a QIP consultant, which means you go on the website as a qualified, an advertised certified, certified Austrade consultant. New South Wales, there are 40 consultants that are EMDG consultants. In other words, there's 40 doing more than five, which I don't think is a very high number. Mm-hmm. And you're Consul- one of the 40? Yeah, seeing there's 13, 1,300, 1,400 claims are lodged in New South Wales, probably of those 40, probably about 60 to 80% are probably the QIP. Two reasons I don't do QIP, I'm just... That's not my nature to be that exact. One of the reasons is I'd rather push the limits for the client. And have a higher slippage. And have a higher slippage on the basis that if I knock it out, then it gets knocked out. And Mm. and I have to balance. I get admonished, your slippage is so high, we're going to... We might take your so we might take your your ability to lodge clients away, or you're trying to rip off Austrade. I occasionally get letters like that, but yeah. So you balance that between doing the best thing for your client. So we had clients the other day. 
And is the risk higher that something is knocked back because you are tainted yes. as somebody who pushes yes, the Yes, that, that, that's potentially the case. Um, it's a bit of chicken and the egg. A QIP client could get away with it occasionally. But the thing is, if they get away with it too often and get caught, they're going to lose their QIP status anyway. So, QI, so, so QIPs are try. less likely to, unless they're, they're going to be a far more conservative, far more conservative in what they claim, in how they claim it, and that sort of thing. And to be honest, most uh, business partner um, missed out on it this year. He had one claim that had one thing go wrong in it out of thirty claims, and they've got they've got some. Pretty poor because they can't get any other certification system. If they're trying to use this, they've got some pretty poor methodology in it as well. Um, the only claims that they allow within this calculation are claims that they actually sit down and audit. So they go through it like this. So there are a whole lot of claims where you put them through. They'll look at the paperwork in the office and they go, "Yeah, that looks right. Tick it off." That's not audited. That's passed through without without risk. Now, why does it get passed through without risk? Because last year or two years ago they did an audit. Didn't have a problem last year. It looked all right. They did it. So this year, passed through without risk. In other words, you have trained your client to do the right thing. You have done everything right, and you continue to work with that client and make sure they do everything right. They don't count for your audit. When you get audited, it is only the ones that they sit down and audit. Now, you might put 30, 40 claims in, and five of them will be audited. If one of those... Gets knocked back. Gets you knocked have back. a slippage you of 20%. 20%. Yeah, yeah that, that's right, that, that type of logic. So it, it just, and he did, he had 40 claims, not one with any slippage in it. One claim where it was arguable whether it was wrong anyway, but that created the slippage, so he didn't get it. But anyway, that's, yeah. they're the gatekeeper, they own the money. They're the, they're the, who, who owns the gold makes the rules and, and they own the, the right to deliver the funding. So mm-hmm. you just got to sit in with it. So in a way, it could be better to have somebody who is not a QIP because they're not so worried about losing their yes. Q- QIP status, yes. hence are more willing to push the boundaries. Yeah, it's a very small cabal of people. Austrade have, I don't know how many orders they'd have, 20 or 30 auditors. Um, so I probably know half the auditors. I don't. There would be other people within our consultancy group. There is a consultancy group that deal with Austrade. They would deal with them and they come to conferences. We have a biannual conference. They have a very close relationship. And when they're doing, when people are doing 50 claims a year and they're getting 10 or 12 audited, so they've got 10 or 12 different auditors mm. over 10 years, they get. You know, all the auditors. It's, it's a bit like a small football group mm. with referees. You can't, if I don't like this referee, you don't have a lot of choice because you don't like that one and you've played with that one and that's all the referees there are. So, you know, there's, it's a small, you have to work with that small group and there's a small group of consultants, there's a small group of auditors, both on, Mm. both opposing each other. Mm. Um, And and it is an opposition. Um, It it is an Austrader trying to find things wrong. Their role is to make sure that the money is spent correctly, the funding is staying the same but the number of claims are going up, so there's less amount being paid. So they have a, they now have a, a moral and a, a, a moral reason for saying we want to stop all these, anything that's slightly out, we're going to stop it because mm. by giving it to you, we're not giving it to somebody else. If, if they could pay everybody's claim 100%, it wouldn't matter. But now if they give it to you and you're not quite 100% uh, correct, then they're stopping somebody else getting money that was 100%. Meet a fit and proper person 
test. So you know you can't be you can't have had um, been to prison. You can't be to prison. Bankrupt. All those fit and proper persons. Same as mm. similar. Uh, Tax Because because EMDG is contained within its own act. It finds it very difficult to relate to other acts. So the Tax Act might have a fit and proper person. Um, financial services legislation might have it, but Austrade find it very difficult to relate to anything else. So they end up writing their own. They have a lot so of they their have own, their own definition, and that fit and proper person is a definition. But it's also a, a lot of it in the same as the tax in the tax commissioner's opinion. A lot of it is in the Austrade commissioner's opinion. Um, this is the case, but. That's his opinion. That's bad luck. You know, this it, it, they they have quite a degree of of latitude, um, or, and flexibility in what they think is fit and proper. What, what the, uh, uh, right across all sorts. Uh, so not just on that, but in in all aspects of um, whether they're going to let something through or not through, and that sort of thing. It's it's in the it's in the Austrade Commissioner's discretion. There's 15 to 16,000 people do R&D and there's across Australia there's 3,500 do EMDG. So EMDG um, is not for some individuals it's fairly lucrative but it's not, EMDG is not a grant that you can build a business, uh, build a, a an enterprise on. Very, there are a couple of Companies have tried, and occasionally the big four will go in and out of. We've got an EMDG arm. No, we don't do EMDG. So a lot of R and D consultant specialists will say, "Any EMDG, we'll pass it over to you, and we'll do it." Some there's a few EMDG people that say we don't do R and D at all. Why? Because they don't want to go through the hassle of becoming an agent, an R and D tax agent. So they will pass R and D. So you'll have a client. Someone does R and D. They make a product, they experiment on a research a product, make a product, sell a product, export a product. So there's a good chance that a lot of your R&D clients are going to get to export eventually. There's a chance then if you come in at a stage and you've got export clients that they will be doing R&D at some stage. Mm. L- less likely because in export you're selling services, you're selling a whole lot of other things. But yeah. in, R- in, in, in R&D... They should be, most of them should be ending up looking at an export as an export um, yes. uh, potential of their product or, yeah. or their, their technology that they've got. The R&D Tax Incentive, EMDG, Entrepreneurs Infrastructure Program, Accelerating Commercialisation, which is part of that. That is... Those are the four major federal government they're grants. They're the grants. R&D and EMDG and the Entrepreneurs Program are the three the three grants that the, the accelerating commercialisation, they give out about 10 of those a month. Okay, so over a year there's 120 and there's 50,000 businesses. EMDG, there's 3,500 claims made a year. Uh, R&D, there's 15,000 claims made a year. So... In the infrastructure program, the one I'm talking about, that that could actually be getting up to some thousands of some thousands across Australia. That could be getting up to some thousands. So, in terms of popular numbers of what businesses can apply for that they can get, different states will have different different grants. Um, New South Wales has very few government grants at all. Um, 
South Australia has a lot. Um, Victoria has quite a few. Queensland have quite a few. And then, if you're talking about government grants, does does the it is a government grant? And you can include in the complete number, but it's not something a we deal with or that most people think about. But the drought subsidy program, so funding for you know freight transport for drought subsidy. That's available to all farmers that are feeding their stock. But that's not something that, unless you're actually talking to a bunch of farmers that are in drought, that you're going to... Mm. So there's then becomes some very specific things that need to occur at a certain time. Mm. There is probably ten to 12,000 government grants that are available. Different, of, different government Different government grants. grants, of which any one business might be eligible for maybe one or two. First of all, we've got to have a bit of an understanding of what a grant actually is. So all the governments, when they give out money, it's a cash allocation to your business for a specific purpose. They're trying to achieve some public policy aim. Uh, so always keep in mind why the government's giving you this money, not just to make your business better. They have, a, they have an incentive themselves to give you more money. It is just another source of funding. Grants can be funding, loans can be funding, equity, working capital. So the benefit of that is that they don't have to be repaid. A grant is something you don't have to repay. It comes back to a policy position, so it's not going to be for day-to-day operations or normal, uh, normal businesses as usual uh, type of costs that you're going to have. So the government mm. wants to achieve something with they, that money. They the, want some change for the better. Exactly. You're, you're a customer of the government and what, they, what they're trying to buy is your vote or the public's vote because they see you're doing a good thing. Um, if that happens to benefit your business, the public, Australia at large, then everybody's a winner. Grants in general, they don't always come from governments. They will come from philanthropic organisations. Um, specific medical groups will have grants. So uh, Alzheimer's Australia will have grants to, to aid in, in Alzheimer's. Uh, for, for a business that's not in, in research areas, it will normally be government grants. But, for instance... Um, Telstra has their Women of the, the Women of the Year award, which carries with it a, a funding funding assistance. So, you can look outside government for that extra amount of funding that you may require to grow your business. And not only that, it has it can have a marketing benefit for you as well. It gives you gives you a higher profile, it gives you credibility. You're associated with other large organisations. Um, the one thing I will say about them is that they will all still come down to having a specific purpose. So it's, again, not going to be money that they're just going to throw at your business because you feel you need it. There will be a specific purpose and there will be specific guidelines and eligibility requirements um, for you to, get, to be able to apply and then for how uh, any funding you receive can be spent. Um, so grant means you don't have to pay back. Government grant means the money comes mm-hmm. from the government. Yes. And that could be, uh, don't forget, that could be from local government, state government, uh, federal government. Uh, and I would say in this day and age, don't exclude international government money as well. For instance, um, uh, the, the climate funds that come out of the UN, World Bank, um, the Asia Development Bank, provide funding to others um, and may provide funding to you if you have something that meets their policy position. So uh, there's a there's a a cascading of, of, uh, or a hierarchy of, of where you might go for the money. Uh, local government will obviously have less funding available, um, probably less likely to be appealing to business, but it's always it's always worth looking at. So the biggest funding comes from the federal government? Yes. 
yes. Uh, apart from um, apart from international yes, organisations, yeah, but the, within Australia, the, big, the biggest grant in Australia is the R and D grant. Uh, it, it, it actually comes through the tax system, but in terms we keep calling it a grant. But in terms of the cost to the expenditure to the the cost to the government is about two billion dollars a year. That public policy position of that is they want innovation, they want people researching, they want people developing products and researching and coming up with new innovation. How can you do that? You drive that by government offering an incentive. That's the government benefit. The government gets incentive, they get a bigger GDP. When a grant comes out, um, you don't have to actually be the recipient of the grant. Uh, you may be a service provider to that grant. So don't just look, oh, well, I'm not eligible for that. You may have clients or customers yourself that are eligible and when they get the money, they've got to spend it on something and that is on you. So if, if it's a, a business that's building a new factory and they can get a grant for it, they're going to need plumbers. They're going to need electricians. So while a plumber is the last person that's going to get a grant, they can be the recipient. Of, so it's where the cash ends up that's going to be important to you. We're just talking about... Uh, the various ranges, local, federal, etc. In fact, there's probably about ten to fifteen thousand grants available in Australia. Unfortunately, any one business is probably eligible for one or two of those, and that's not all year round. That could only be at specific times of the year. So it's not that everybody else is getting a grant. It's just that there's an awful lot of them out there. You only hear about the big amounts of money that people are getting, but there are, are lots and lots of grants out there that you can take advantage of. The direct benefit of a grant is to the person that gets the money. They applied for it. They can achieve what they want. Indirectly, anyone that's going there where they've got to spend their money should also be very interested in that. As I said, the service providers, equipment providers, consultants, trades that need to facilitate employees. whatever. Employees. Again, it's another way of government making money circulate in the community. So don't just ignore the fact that there are grants out there. Think of your own clients or clients who, that of other people that you deal with that may be eligible for that. When there are government grants, there are three types of grants that you can look for. The entitlement grant, a merit grant, or an agreed grant. So what I mean by that is an entitlement grant is not, is a reimbursement grant. You've spent the money, you've done the paperwork correctly, you've done everything correctly, you will be entitled to get that funding back from the government. And falling into that range is the export market grant, which we'll talk about later in the research and development tax incentive. Do the right thing and you will get the reimbursement. There are merit grants which normally have limited funds. They have a round, so they'll have an opening date and a closing date. You'll apply for something and you'll go up against everybody else that's applying for that limited amount so of like funding. it's like a competition. It's a competition. Your grant has to both be the most eligible. In other words, it can't be peripheral. You've got to have a, an objective that is core to what the, the grant is trying to achieve and it's got to be then presented such that it's better. It's, it will provide better value for money to the government than whoever else might be applying for it. So merit grants will normally have higher value because they know that they can target it directly to the organisation that they know can spend the money cost-effectively. A set of agreed grants, these are grants that are normally available around the whole year. They have normally lower benefits, need, still need to be eligible. When you apply for them, they come out of a bucket of money that a government will have, but it's not a defined. We don't know how much they'll have. And normally they budget enough to allow them to have funding for 
people uh, for businesses right throughout the year. Things like the Entrepreneurs Infrastructure Program Business Growth Grant is is is, is of that nature, where uh, if you're eligible and you'll apply, you you will be able to get it. But the um, government decides how much they give you. No, they're, and normally they're of a fixed amount. You have a project in mind, you tailor the size of that project to the amount of funding you can get. And when you do the application, you meet the eligibility, then you'll be provided the funding for it. The merit grants, as I said, occur at particular times of the year. As I said, have higher amounts, but they are very competitive. Often those type of grants will also require collaboration to achieve the outcome that a particular government may have in mind. What you call entitlement grants, you spend the money and if you meet all the requirements, then you're entitled to a grant of a certain percentage of the expenses you've incurred, whereas with the merit grants, you haven't incurred the expenses yet, you apply, your merit is assessed, and then they say, yes, you are eligible and can spend on a specific purpose. Yes, you can proceed You can proceed with, with the, whatever that project happens to be. Most grants, and particularly those natures, will still be 50-50. Government funding will be 50%, not unknown, but, but few government grants to business are actually 100%, uh, 100% they'll be 50%, normally mm. 50%. Some of them vary. New South Wales grant has a 35% um, contribution that you need to make. And it makes sense because otherwise if you fund 100%, you run the risk that costs are incurred just for the sake for of... The, yeah, it's no different. You only value what you pay for. Some of those grants, that your 50% may be made up of some in-kind funding. You may be contributing time, you may be contributing this rental space or the area being used. So it's important to always then read through the guidelines. Will in-kind contributions be counted or it doesn't have to be a cash contribution? Sometimes the cash contribution has to be seen and be readily available. At other times, the cash contribution has to be committed. So the money may not be in the bank, but it is available, whether it be from uh, investors or loan funds, but it will be available at a time in the future that it, um, it's going to be available. benefits of doing a grant. There are benefits and difficulties, accountability and responsibility that come with doing a grant. It is an amount of effort. If you were to go to a bank and get a loan, they're giving you the money. It is a similar type of effort. The, the government is not giving money out just because you happen to be a taxpayer it's, or you've got a business. It's a very time-consuming exercise. Yes. So you, you need to be prepared to put some effort in, but then to look at what comes out of it. And I will say the ultimate aim is to get the cash out. However, there are a number of rewards that come out of just going through the application process, even for an unsuccessful grant, it asks you questions about your business that you may not have thought through. You may, for that grant, need to get advice from consultants or even part of the grant may be getting advice from consultants. So you'll have third-party expert advice coming into your business. Grants themselves will come with publicity. Nothing a politician likes better than to be seen to be handing over a big cheque to somebody or congratulating someone because of a, a new innovation or a new factory being built, etc. Because you've got a project in mind, something I probably should say at the very start, when there is a government grant, it is very easy to say, I think I'll get that. Now I've all, all I've got to do is think of a project to spend it. Very little chance of getting it. You need to have the project and then when the money becomes available, be prepared to do it. A, you'll have limited preparation time. So you, you, if you have a project in mind and you've thought it through, you're actually better prepared. You're also actually more committed. You have a passion, you have a drive, you, you have a clear objective of what you're trying to achieve. And therefore, very rarely will I see people 
ever be successful in saying, oh, we could do that, there's money there, let's try this. It really is that they there's no commitment to it. If there was, they would have already thought of that, that, that project that they're going to do before. Mm. So never do something just to get a grant. No, no, because you actually have to complete the grant and you could find that if it's not something core to the business plan that you have, you just got it because you thought it'd be good to get the money, you then become distracted from actually what your core business is. Uh, the other benefits from from doing a grant and getting a grant is it forces you into goal setting. It means that you need to create business marketing plans, um, project plans around what you're doing. So it brings some discipline to the business that is not always there. And look, at eventually at the end of the day, it's cash that comes into the business that doesn't have to be repaid. It may have some tax attached to it, but uh, that's, a, that's a separate issue. And even once you've got the grant, there will be efforts. There will be reporting requirements, auditing potentially, depending on the size of it, auditing requirements, uh, but certainly reporting back. You may need to acknowledge, so a state government may want to know wherever this project is being done or talked about, they're acknowledged every time and their logo is used. So it's not just a matter of someone writing you a cheque and walking away. The key grants that out there that you may feel that uh, you have an opportunity of, of getting. The first one, because it's the largest grant in, New, in in Australia that in terms of the funding that goes into it, is the Research and Development Tax Incentive. This actually operates through the tax system, uh, but it is a reimbursement program. You need to have spent the money in your financial year and then when you put your tax in, you get uh, the, the value back on that. So the amount... With recent changes to the taxation levels for different companies, and I know that hasn't been finalised at the moment, the government's brought in that they are going to say that there is a maximum of 13.5% over and above what the tax rate for a company is, is the benefit they'll get from R&D. So what does that mean? If you're a company with a 30% tax rate, the government will give you a refundable rebate of 43.5% of your eligible expenditure on R&D research costs. I see. So have they changed that in terms of that it's now not always 43.5%, but it's 13.5% over your yes, tax rate? Yes, So companies are now, companies are yeah, now 27.5%. So they will get, they will get a um, 41% rebate. When that gets down to 25%, it'll go to a 38.5%. Uh, rebate, so they've, they've maxed it out at thirteen and a half percent, which is unfortunate. Two or three years ago, it was fifteen percent, and for a little while there, for small turnover companies under two million, they were actually getting a sixteen percent benefit. Throwing the percentages around, what does that actually mean to you? What it means is that if you go out and do some research, you you put labour in, you buy equipment, you have to buy materials for that project, and it comes to a hundred thousand dollars. Ordinarily, if your companies have got a tax rate of thirty percent. They would claim that as a deduction from the, as their part of the ordinary business expenses. So their income would be reduced by that amount of what they have to pay their tax on. What the R&D tax incentive does is the government says, well, actually, what we'll do is we'll give you a 43.5% rebatable refund on that amount, and that will then come off your tax. So if you had a tax bill of $100,000, if you had a, a net profit of $100,000, instead of paying 30% tax on that, the government will say, well, we owe you $43,500, but you will still owe us some tax, but there's obviously a gap. And depending on how profitable a company is, it is a refundable amount, which means that 
if you don't owe the government money, they will owe you money. So if you're a company that has no turnover and you've spent $100,000, then you will get a refund of the $43,000 into your bank account. 43500 43500 yes. If the 100000 is all eligible expenses. Whatever the, yes. Mm. So your business may have turned over a million dollars uh, may have spent a million dollars, of which only a hundred thousand is eligible R and D expenditure. The million dollars will still go into your loss, and you'll carry that forward. Effectively, what the government's saying: a hundred thousand of that is we know you could have claimed it next year. What we're going to do is give you a refund of it this year, and we'll just cancel out the loss that you would have had for that mm. eligible expenditure. By next adding year. those hundred thousand yes. back to taxable yes. income. Yeah. So for companies in startup mode that uh, are generally going to be in a loss position, they're not. They're, they're developing a product. They've not got to the stage of, of income. It is vital that they are set up correctly to do the R&D because it saves a huge amount of funding issues for them. And companies like that are normally pretty keen to get their returns in early in July. If you've got, if you're looking at some of these companies that are putting, uh, startup companies that are putting a million or $2 million into their development early on, then we're talking about them getting a quarter of their requirements of funding back from the government straight away. So it is mm-hmm. it is a very good incentive program. for, And for that reason, claims in this area have grown from 7,000 to 15,000 over the last five years. Average claims. Average, well, the, number the, of claims. No, number of claims. The, the maximum claim now is $100 million. So you'll have Telstra, you'll have companies that are claiming $100 million in R&D tax incentive. Mm. But um, $100 million, I think, is the cap because anything over $100 million, the tax incentive is reduced to 30%, which basically... Wipes out so which, take, which 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 makes it not. Yeah. that's right. Yeah. So the cap is hundred yeah. million, but that's that's yeah. a big plane. Yeah, right. that's right. So what it's saying is, and the minimum the minimum amount of expenditure that is eligible that before you can make a claim is 20, is twenty thousand. But as in all government programs, there is always a but that goes with that. If you use a, a research registered service research provider, yes. Whatever they charge you can be claimed. So you may use somebody and they charge you ten thousand to make a claim. The short answer is if you have more than $20,000 of research and development expenditure, then you should be looking at whether you meet the eligibility requirements for doing your research and development. The other side of that is that there are requirements for your record keeping and your document management that are required quite apart from what they consider to be innovation and eligibility. That's where you do need to talk to R&D consultants to actually explain the quite difficult area of of understanding what innovation for R&D tax incentive is. It's a self-assessed, so it needs to be thought through and discussed so that when you do lodge your application, any audit of that you feel confident about uh, withstanding an audit of your both your documents but also of your philosophy that you've used in writing your application. I can imagine there are no official statistics, but what is your fee? What's the audit rate of R&D incentives? It's about 15%. It's about 15%. But that's quite low. A lot of the, it's quite low. A lot of government auditing for these programs is now based around risk analysis software. So So that means the 15% will be the large ones. Largeness is something, particular industry types as others. Last year, the government put out four tax statements on four industries that were seen to be not abusing it, but potentially could be abusing the tax incentive scheme. One, one of these was agriculture, for instance. So for agriculture, 
companies were experimenting with a new pesticide, for instance, hadn't been tried on beans or hadn't been tried on something. So it was a legitimate R&D. They were were trying to do legitimate R&D. The problem is that to test that out, you really need to do it on a 10-metre square plot. You didn't need to do it on your 3,000 acres with all the fuel and all that associated with it. And so companies were, and this is a big thing is, the fact that you're doing R&D doesn't mean that the whole project you're doing is R&D, but companies are claiming the whole of the R&D. So the building industry was another one. So we're going to test a new way of putting door frames in. But, but, but our 30-storey but building that we had to build to put the doors in, we considered part of the cost. And so that was in the building industry. Um, software is another industry, and software is somewhat different. Software where companies will claim the whole of the project when really only a small amount of what they were doing might have been considered innovative. But software is all in the sights of, um, of Oz, Oz industry in that they have difficulty with what innovation is involved in software. There is a particular difficulty with software. Is, is anything new or is everything just mm. building because on Because you really have to look at the code to see whether it's yes. new or not. Yeah, yeah. And, and having a new idea... Um, but using Java but, but is not innovation. That, exactly right. Except then, if you use Java and you make it and you combine it with something else and you do it with something else that hasn't been done before, is that going to be innovation? So again, anyone doing software should really be talking to to R and D specialists, uh, specialists to, to understand what it is that it's not just that no one's ever done this type of software. But no one's ever done um, this type of thing. And that's the other thing with R&D is it's got to be innovative to the world. So if some PhD student in outer Mongolia has just published a paper on what you've been doing your research on, then it's been done before in the world. They may not have produced anything, but they've done the research. So it's not for product development. It is for research and development, and the research is the key part. They could almost leave development out of the jargon now because that implies that you are working now on something that you've now discovered. Oh, that's, it, it, a good, that's a good point. It's really just research, not development. Yes, it's, it's, not, it's not product development, um, improving something, improving something, making it more cost-effective is not a basis of a research and development project. Uh, sorry, it's the basis of your research and development, but not for funding for, for research and development. The, the issue is with it, it does have very good returns in terms of the funding for your business because you have already spent that money. It's money that you needed to spend. If you're not going to spend a dollar to only get 50 cents back. So any research and development project must have had a very good business case before you even started. This improves the business case for doing that. This, Whether it be to beat your competitors, to have a better product, a newer product, it's a business case that you need to prove before you go ahead and do the R&D. Once you've done it and you do your document keeping and you meet your eligibility, this improves the business case, it accelerates it, it allows you to perhaps go further than what you're intending to do. So it's certainly something that anybody looking for a competitive advantage in their product or services should certainly be looking at and then look at the eligibility before they start to spend their money. A key one for that is companies have to be, it has to be a company, it cannot be a partnership, it cannot be a trust. So we do find... Why, why is that? Why, if, why excluding uh, trust? That's the legislation. Um do you know what the legislator was thinking? The 
organization that is bearing the, the risk. And I think it's a company, a permanent establishment of a foreign corporation yes. or a corporate trustee of a public trading of trust. Of a public trading company, yes, that's right. So a company trustee of a... Public my, trading trust. That's right. We have people say, well, we've got a company. And they say, that's great. And then you find out that actually what they're talking about is the company they're talking about is the trustee company of the trust that they happen to be trading through, but it's mm. a private trading family, family fa- and, and, and therefore it's not. Federal funding does happen to trust, it does happen to sole traders, it does happen, but there are issues. I can understand why federal funding wouldn't go to a family trust, for example, because it's just too difficult to work out where the money is going, exactly. who's yeah. benefiting. Yeah. Who's benefiting from it. So there's a short answer on R&D. It is a very good program. It is fairly well defined and it has certainly business saving attributes for companies that are struggling um, with the costing of their research and development. It certainly is a, a big benefit to them. Export Market Development Grant. This operates through Austrade and it's a grant that's a reimbursement of up to 50% of your funding, of your marketing activities when you create opportunities for selling your product overseas. Overseas except to North Korea and New Zealand. And why those two countries? Uh, I um, can understand why not North Korea, but why but, not but New, New Zealand? Zealand? Because there's no great public policy benefit in selling to New Zealand. We also have a very close economic relationship with them. The key things in terms of dollars are that the grant can be valued up to $150,000. Uh, it's a reimbursement. Based on the way that they do the calculation, if you were to get a grant of 150000 you would have spent 305000 It's your eligible expenditure, less $5,000, and then 50% of that. that. Uh, there is a minimum expenditure of 15000 So you can see that the 5000 has a varying effect. The 5000 that comes off has a varying effect. If you've only spent 15000 and you take five off, you get left with 10. Half of 10 is five. So of your $15,000 you've spent you'll get 5000 back. You're getting 30% back. The government says markets that they have a 50% reimbursement take the 5000 off, so it's, we know it's already not at that. But the government is severely underfunding this program and in the most recent year of grants, they make it out in two tranches. And the first tranches of payments are made for grants up to 40000 The full amount is paid out. If your grant is over 40000 the 40000 is paid, but the balance is held until the June of the following year when they can then calculate how much money they've got left and how many grants they've still got left to pay. Unfortunately for recipients last year, that was down to 29.4% or just less than 30% of their outstanding. So a company that did expect to get 150000 as per the legislation was receiving just over $70,000. It goes back to something I said earlier, which is if you don't have a good business case for doing it, then you shouldn't be doing it anyway. So there should have been a good business case for going overseas and doing marketing. This funding helps accelerate it, helps cover the cost, makes it more cost-effective. But again, you're not spending a dollar to get 50 cents back, so it can't be the sole reason that you're doing it. You need a good business case for why you're going marketing. You need to be well-prepared. But the EMDG has been... Very important to many companies that have grown their grown their export business, and as rarely do we make an appeal to people to um, speak to the federal government. But it's certainly this is a case where it actually has a very high return on investment. Return on investment on the EMDG for the government is um, 
Exports, they spend $137 million on it per year. The amount of export sales from those companies that are claiming that $137 million is around 4 to $6 billion. Of that money that's spent, a lot of it is spent in Australia anyway um, in terms of uh, the marketing material that is prepared to be taken overseas. Uh, the EMDG is like a bit like an onion. Uh, we can describe it and then every time you ask a question, there will be a qualifying but, uh, maybe, to go with it. So there are a lot of rules surrounding what is eligible, what's not eligible. The claims are made from July to November following the financial year. There are eight grants maximum allowed to be made. Your first grant can cover two years of financial expenditure. Following that, they don't have to be consecutive years, uh, but it's just one year of financial expenditure. So you accumulate your eligible expenditure, you make your application from July to November. There is a team of auditors that will review your application for first-time entrants. Very likely you will have someone come out to the office and spend time and go through with your business, understand your application, but also understand that everything about your business. Are you going to be in business next year? There's documentation and reporting. You need to substantiate any of the claims you've made. The maximum grant is 150000 Some years back, they brought in a sales test that now says that after your second grant, your following grant will be the third year that you make a claim. The amount of your grant will be either the lesser of the amount calculated or 40% of your overseas sales for that year. And then the following year, it's 20%. And it runs off down to 5% by the time you get to the eighth grant. You have about three years' grace in which you can market your products without sales, without success. So we expect to get success, but it'll always be longer than you thought. But by the time you get to your third year, you do need some sales. For instance, if you've spent $105,000 in your third year, you've spent $105,000 in expenditure. So you expect to get... 5000 off that, divided by two, you expect to get $50,000 back. That's calculated. And you've made $100,000 in sales. $100,000 in sales, I've covered my costs, and the EMDG is going to come in and I'm going to get my, so I'm actually going to look good. But it's 40% of those sales as all that's going to be considered. So your maximum grant will be 40% of those overseas sales in that year. Maximum grant is 40000 Your calculated grant is 50000 You'll only get forty. You get the lesser of the calculated amount or the sales test amount. So it is important that you time your entry into the whole program and that you look at where things are going. You need to create the business case for whether you're spending and, and what you're doing with it. Are the 100,000 expenses added back to accessible income like so, the R&D tax incentive? No, this grant program operates outside the, the tax system. So you do your tax, um, the claims you've made, the money you've spent goes through your tax system as per normal. The grant is using the data, is using the information for that. What you do need to know, though, is that the amount that you get back is actually added back into your assessable income. So you so, pay tax on it next so, year. So that when you receive it, in, in the year that you receive it, you'll pay tax on it. If you want to get what the net benefit to you is, it's somewhere between 25 and 30%. The reason is that the government takes a little bit off. To, and this is ignoring the fact that they're not paying the full amount. The government takes a little bit off to start with. They're $5,000 they take off of what you've spent. If you do export grants yourself, then you have no cost. You, you still have a, an opportunity cost and that people have to prepare it. But if you're paying a consultant to put your, your grant in, you're going to have to pay them a fee. 
then the government's going to tax you on what you get back anyway. If you take all of that into account, we estimate that the net benefit you're getting is still 25 to 30%, which, as I said, but was effectively walking in to buy your overseas airline ticket. They say, oh, thank you for coming in. You get an immediate 30% discount on whatever you're being charged. Mm. So it's a benefit, but you wouldn't do it to get 30% of your, your expenditure back. But it certainly creates a much more cost-effective. What it does mean to people is that we were tossing up whether we'd only go once overseas this year or twice overseas. We are tossing up whether we'd go to that trade show and that trade show. It makes it cost-effective to do both. It makes it cost-effective to produce a video where you might have only going to be producing a PowerPoint slide. It makes it worthwhile to go and get a professional graphic designer to do some of your work. The benefits, that 30%, if it's put back into your export program, over three years, you've actually doubled your expenditure on your export program over three years. So it has the benefits from that point of view. So the Entrepreneur's Infrastructure Program is a program that's run by Oz Industry. The benefits for this program are it will help you benchmark your business, it will provide a consultant to your business, it will provide a small diagnostic on your business, and it will also provide you with the opportunity of up to 20000 in funding to make some productivity improvements to your business. A particular grant we're talking about is called the Business Growth Grant. You need a business evaluation done first. So to be eligible for that, you have to have a turnover of greater than $1.5 million. You have to be in certain industries or a provider to those industries, those mm. industries being oil and gas, energy, pharmaceuticals, advanced manufacturing and agri-tech or food and agriculture. So we're cutting out people that run a warehouse. If you're in those industries or you're a supply and logistics provider to those industries or a key service provider to those industries and your turnover is over $1.5 million, then you're eligible for it. So what happens in the important part of this grant is actually the diagnostic that happens. The government outsourced the organ- to organisations such as New South Wales Chamber of Commerce who will provide a business consultant to come and do a small diagnostic on your business They don't take a lot of your time. They'll do interviews. They'll use the document you have about the business. They'll provide you then with a report that has a number of recommendations they believe will improve the challenges that you've got facing your business. Now, these are the challenges that you've already told them about. Um, You've probably also suggested some of the recommendations. So, in effect, you're getting a report back that reflects, it means you didn't have to sit down and write your business case at the moment. If you decide then that you want to execute some of those recommendations, you can then apply for the business growth grant, which will provide up to, on a dollar-for-dollar basis up to $20,000 for services to execute those. You can't buy things. You can't buy capital. You can buy consultants. You can buy some level of training. But it certainly is a key way of catalyzing a business to make some changes. So they know the changes are needed. The 20000 is not huge, particularly for businesses turning over more than $1.5 million, But... It means that it becomes very cost-effective to get that consultant in to look at your workplace practices, to look at your work and safety, to look at automation, to look at your supply chain. Is it as effective as it could be? Should you be introducing a quality system? Do you need a business strategy that you just need to think about? And can the business choose the consultant? Or is the it business a- chooses the consultant. They, they make an application. They create a specification. So the, the, the report says you need to consider your workplace practices. So, okay, so they set a specification out, they put that out to consultants, they need to get three quotes from consultants based on this tender, based on this specification. It doesn't need to be the lowest cost, 
as long as you can provide a good reason why you've chosen this consultant over another consultant. Mm -hmm. And you may well have reasons that they have expertise in the industry, they've worked with you before or whatever. You submit that business growth grant application. When you're approved, you then get the funding. You don't get the funding up front. You pay for the funding to the consultant. When you've paid it, you take the receipt and you then bill the state government for the for the mm -hmm. amount. And you said that the consultant's recommendations then help you to qualify for another program. I think it's called a growth program. Yeah, so the, the evaluation that you do, they provide a report which outlines your business. They, they have their own methodology, but effectively they do a SWOT and they provide that sort of feedback to you. And then they say, right, in this area of the business, we would recommend that this is some actions you can take. In this area of the business, some actions you can take. It's when you go to execute those that you then apply for the funding for the assistance to, to execute that. I see. And how, how much funding is there to finance the action points? Uh, uh, the 20,000. I see. So, oh, I see. So, I thought, so the, I thought the, valuation, the 20,000 was just no, for the consultant. The, the valuation, no, the evaluation is free. So the business evaluation is free. And that's why it's often that's just as helpful, someone just sitting down with you, talking to you, you talking to them about your business and them writing a report on it with a very experienced history and experience behind them, reflecting back at you what your thoughts are about the business and providing some further input. Often they will agree completely with your idea of the business. Often the reports that I've seen will be in conflict because the business owner is really not recognising the true problems within their business. I can imagine that business owners will go for this not so much to meet a consultant because I can imagine they will resent a little bit the fact that somebody comes in for an hour or two and then tells them how to run their business. Mm. But I can imagine that they do it so that they then can qualify for the $20,000. Yes and no. It's, a, it's the equivalent of about 12 hours consulting. They, they'll do a four-hour, they'll do up to four or six hours with the, with the owner or the management of the company, sit down with them and go through with it. They'll get the P&Ls for three years, they'll get access to, to documents if there's business plans. A lot of companies don't actually go through with the grant. They will sit there because they actually have to spend twenty thousand themselves anyway. Um, but I see. So they actually the, see the, value the, in the business evaluation is seen as quite valuable. Okay. Because if nothing else, someone's writing down what you should have probably done anyway. <laughs> you know, how often does a business owner step outside their business and say, "Let's have a look at what's going on"? They don't get time. They're always working it. So here's a chance. It's going to cost them nothing. It's not a three-month McKinsey reporting system. There's someone that's sitting down, they're going to spend time, go to the heart of the problem, they've got a methodology that does it. And the, the owner can step outside their business for four hours, make comments about it, have someone report mm -hmm. that, someone analyse that, and come back with, these are the things we'd recommend. If they're in line with the, what the owner thinks, then that's great. He's now validated, oh, I better do something about this. And if they're not, he says, okay, I hadn't thought about that. Yes, that I can see that that will have more benefit than whatever. So then they go for the cash. A so lot, you have seen a good take-up of I, this? I, yeah, offer? look, I've, I've seen a, a good take-up of this with, oh, okay. with, um, with companies over the $1.5 million. The Really, the criteria is the $1.5 million turnover, um, but then it's falling into one of the growth, what they call the growth industries. The growth industries are fairly broad without wanting to cruel the whole thing. We have got fashion clients into that 
thing. How did uh, you get fashion clients into be, Oiland? Um, be, because they're part of the advanced manufacturing. Ah, oh, okay. Advanced uh, manufacturing, uh, yeah. They're, they're, they're part of advanced manufacturing or they're working with people that are in advanced manufacturing. So there used to be, a, and somewhere the creative part of their industry will come into it. So it is trying to block out. A service station could have a turnover of $1.5 million. Mm. We're not trying to improve the productivity of a service station or a fish and chip shop with all due respect to the work they do. We're looking for businesses that can, due to changing their productivity, increase their growth, increase their turnover, increase their employment. That's why any business should look at it, not be offended if they're not eligible, but look at their eligibility um, for what they do. Uh, As I said, they may well find that they fit in not as the core component, but they're an important cog in that supply chain of that particular industry and therefore they fit in. For instance, restaurants don't fit in, but food manufacturers will. They're processing agricultural foods in in, in that supply chain. And they're within the groups that actually provide these consultants, as I said, Australian, Australian business, New South Wales Chamber of Commerce, etc. they all have specialists in a particular area. So if you're in advanced manufacturing, you'll get someone that comes with a manufacturing background. If you're in food, you'll get someone that comes with a food background or an agricultural background. So you're not having to explain the fundamentals of your industry you're explaining the particulars of your own business. Mm. And you, I know you already said this. Who administers this? It's Aus Industry. This is Aus Industry, yeah. Okay. Uh, so Aus Industry would suggest consultants and then you can choose uh, the consultants. Yeah, you, well, you, you, your application goes through um, and then it's funneled to a particular consultant. The way we recommend uh, anybody does this um, is that they find someone like ourselves may know consultants and we recommend particular consultants to clients because we know they've done a good job in the past and they will put their name on the application. You can either say, send me whoever, and they will just channel it to the closest or that particular industry representative. It's done on a state or regional basis, more of a regional basis. Or you can request a particular, for the evaluation, your own consultant that you may be aware of to, to come and do the work. And then the consultant that actually does the work for the 20,000 for the actual execution of these ideas, that's that's at the that's the client's um, choice that they make and either Oz Industry will approve that person or they won't approve it. In the early days, they started off with a panel and you had to be on that panel, and that, but then they found that that wasn't feasible. This is not very well known, this program. Like the IMD incentive program is very well yeah, known. This has been thing. around. this has been around for seven or eight, nine years now. I've got companies that have gone through it twice because you can make another, have another evaluation in five years and therefore go from that where you don't, and then have a business growth grant again in five years' time. Those three are the three that they should be able to look at their client list and say, you should go and find out from these, you should go and find out from somebody about this particular grant because if you don't, it's costing money. Yeah, and if you do, then it's likely to mean more fees for me because if you're doing R&D, I can probably do charge you more. If you're doing MDG, you've probably got to have better record keeping. If I talk to a bunch of bunch of accountants, or talk to 15 accountants, we'll get one or two people and say, I've got someone I really need you to speak to because the guys come to them. Often that's because the guy's in trouble. He's just spent a bucket load of money on something and they've gone backwards. Two things when they spend money, they come off core business Second thing is they've spent money they didn't have. 
and so they're now in a loss position. They've gone from a profit to a loss position. What are they going to do? If they can do R&D, they get a refund. They can, re they can recoup that position pretty quickly. And we've done cases where we've kept people in business because of the refund. You know, it's, it's the only thing. And often there's, it's interesting, often there's some big companies, big turnover companies, and the amount of refund they get back is higher than their net profit. The rules around the R&D Tax Incentive are about to tighten. The 2018-19 budget includes reform to improve its integrity and fiscal affordability, meaning it costs too much at the moment, at least in the eyes of the government. There had been a review of the R&D Tax Incentive in 2016, so this reform doesn't come out of the blue. According to the Treasurer, the government wants to use the R&D tax incentive to encourage companies to do more and not just to reward R&D that would have happened anyway without the incentive. The changes apply from the 1st of July 2018, so they're already in place now, even though not law yet. So I probably shouldn't say they're in place now. They already apply now, but they are not law yet. But the draft legislation and explanatory material is already out. In the next episode, episode 78, Adrian Bailey of Cleary Hall in Sydney will talk about the CGT rollover provisions in the context of a business restructure. Until then, thank you for listening. Bye for now and see you in the next episode. <laughs>